0: attention this makes absolutely no sense ladies and gentlemen this is Xander's facts it is the Xander's facts podcast what is going on y'all welcome in to the Xander's facts podcast i am of course the aforementioned Xander. we are on episode 42 this week on november 24th episode 42 on the 24th of november how about that Thank you all for listening. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone in the U.S. And then if you're not in the U.S., then I don't know what you're doing. But thank you all for listening to the podcast. And remember, if you like the facts, if you've listened to the facts before, but if this is your first time, welcome. But if you think you're going to like the facts on this podcast that we're going to talk about in a second, remember, click that follow button on this podcast, download the episode, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that's SandersFacts xander with a z and most importantly tell all your friends to listen to the podcast xander's facts call it spreading the facts and remember you need anything xander's facts related click that link tree in this episode's description because the link tree has got all the xander's facts links that you need it's all xander's facts and this week on xander's facts we're talking about something that has nothing to do with thanksgiving to celebrate thanksgiving we're talking about clean energy Ugh. that's right people because you need to know about clean energy now i wanted to talk about this for a while and thanksgiving week we finally got it on the docket this week that's what we're talking about solar energy electric vehicles all that stuff crazy climate change is it real it is real we'll talk about that in a second and then later on we've got Football picks because football is back on the podcast this week. We've got Thanksgiving football picks coming up. We'll get to those in a little later, but let's get to our main topic this week. We have got green energy. Let's talk about it because we've talked a bunch about climate change on this podcast, but we haven't really talked a lot about what we can do about it because we're talking about all these crazy things about climate change. Oh my gosh, it's terrible! Terrible. Well, what are we going to do about it? Well, today that changes because we're going to be talking about all the ways that we as regular earthling human beings can help mitigate the effects of climate change there are a ton of things we're going to talk about that you may not have ever heard of or you may not want to but you're going to i don't care we're talking about this this week to make sure that you're aware that there are things that us mere mortals can do to help the environment because It's kind of struggling right now. So while you think, you may think you're only one person, and that doesn't make much of a difference. Well, there are 330 million Americans. There's nearly 8 billion people living on Earth. But once more and more people begin helping, begin doing things that we're going to talk about on this podcast today, it's going to begin to make a difference that's going to help all of us. What am I talking about? Climate change. Because if you haven't heard in the news recently, there was this climate change conference summit that was happening over in scotland it was called the cop cop 26 conference that's been in the news recently so before we get into all the things we can do about climate change let's talk about this recent conference because it was kind of important tell me tell me the 2021 united nations climate change conference or cop 26 was the 26th edition of this conference and it was held over in scotland from october 31st until november 13th and the goal of the summit was to present a plan agreed upon by the members of the united nations framework convention on climate change which is the unfcc to limit global warming rise to one and a half degrees celsius that's 2.7 degrees fahrenheit we've talked about this on this podcast it was billed as the most important climate summit since the talks that led to the paris climate accord back in 2017 and during the summit Climate Action Tracker came out with a report that showed that the Earth's average temperature would increase by 2.4 degrees Celsius by the year 2100 if we keep going the way we are, which is, of course, not very good. Whoops. And with this data, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is IPCC, which is a part Of the UNFCCC, which we were talking about, said that the global emissions must be cut by 45% by 2030 in order to achieve the 1.5 degrees Celsius goal. So, for context, if global carbon emissions continue at the current rates, they would rise by 13.7% by 2030. So, we definitely kind of need to cut those. Pretty bad stuff. So, what actually ended up coming of this conference? What came out of it? Well, Nothing to the level of the Paris Climate Agreement that was back in 2015, but there was some progress made during the two-week-long conference. There were a lot of negotiations between countries not wanting to cut emissions as much as other countries. There were a bunch of smaller countries who wanted the larger countries to actually pay for damages that those larger countries have brought upon the smaller countries because of global warming and climate change. That did not materialize. But several countries created their own goals regarding cutting emissions. India announced that they would plan to reach net zero emissions by 2070. And India is heavily reliant on coal. So that was kind of a big deal. Saudi Arabia announced their plans for net zero emissions by 2060. So did China and Brazil by 2050. And there were over 100 countries that signed a pledge during the summit to cut methane emissions by 30% by 2030 that's methane not total emissions and several countries also agreed to cease deforestation by 2030 including two heavily forested countries brazil and russia in addition the u.s and china announced that they would work together to strengthen and accelerate climate action and cooperation this is the first time that those two countries announced that they would work together to fight climate change and this was the first time that the U.S. was back on the global stage promoting actions to fight climate change since 2016, because last four years, you remember, there was a boy in the White House who didn't believe climate change was real. What? But altogether, the various pledges taken still most likely won't be enough to limit the Earth's warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2100. Instead, though, the International Energy Agency estimated that if every country committed to the pledges That they agreed to at COP26, the Earth would warm by 1.8 degrees Celsius by 2100, which is still better than what the Earth would warm to if countries kept emitting at current levels, which would be 2.7 degrees Celsius or about 5 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be horrible. This is true. So the conference was not as big a success as some had hoped, but there was still a bunch of progress that was made and there's still a lot of work to do. And the world, all these countries are going to reconvene once again next year for COP27. It's a yearly summit. They're doing it next year in Egypt. Plus, if you want to have a more in-depth look at all the effects that climate change could bring, like I'm throwing numbers at you, one and a half degrees Celsius, five degrees Fahrenheit, you don't know what those mean. Well, go back to episode 28 of this podcast. It's titled... Code Red for Humanity. Seamless bug. That's episode 28. We talked about all the effects that climate change could bring because there was a new UN report back in August that detailed climate change. And we looked at that and how it would affect our lives. So we talked about that. Go listen back to episode 28 if you have not. But if you have, then let's continue on our wonderful journey talking about green energy because now we know... What countries are trying to do we'll see if that happens but what are some of the ways that we can mitigate climate change on a global scale on a local scale on an individual scale you know since we know that climate change is happening because it is real and is having seriously negative effects on our world we need to be taking measures to help mitigate its effects that's what the whole cop 26 summit was about so luckily there are a bunch of ways we can do exactly that. In fact, that's what this whole podcast is devoted to. Nine minutes in, we're finally getting into what this podcast is about. Here we go! So let's get into it. The change that we need to make the most. Basically, the big main change that we have to do. Getting away from non-renewable resources and transitioning over towards using renewable resources and energy sources. Almost everything that we're going to be discussing Revolves around green and renewable energy because green energy is the future, people. And it's also energy that's created from natural resources like sunlight, water, wind, all that stuff. And these are resources that can be used for eternity. Like they're not going to run out as long as we're here. Plus, using them does not harm the environment. Win, 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 win. Are you sure? But in 2020, renewable energy only accounted for 12%. Of the total US energy consumption. And that percentage obviously needs to increase in the United States. And it also does not include natural gas, which many have debated whether or not it is a renewable resource. And depending on what you look at, natural gas is either considered renewable or non renewable. And natural gas can be created from fossil fuels, which then emit into the air and are considered non renewable. So that kind of natural gas is non renewable. But a type of natural gas called biomethane is considered renewable. This type of natural gas is created from materials that's gathered from landfills, livestock, wastewater, other areas. Ew! However, even though this is considered a renewable resource, this type of natural gas still pollutes. Not Maybe not as much as other types of natural gas or gas or coal or whatever, but it still pollutes. So that's not a very viable long-term option. But with that out of the way... Let's talk about renewable energy sources that do not pollute. There are 5 main types of renewable energy sources that we're going to be talking about. So, all these resources have an infinite amount left, meaning we can use them hopefully as long as the Earth is around. And in addition, they do not or rarely do they pollute when they are created or used, meaning we can keep using them and they will release far fewer or even no emissions into our environment, which is a good So let's talk about these five renewable energy sources, the big five, what they are and how we can use them in our daily lives, some of them. But let's start out with two of the lesser known green energy sources geothermal and biomass. Get ready. Let's begin with geothermal because geothermal energy is thermal energy, which is heat that is stored under the Earth's crust. And this is considered a renewable resource because heat is continually being produced inside of the earth and this heat is generated it was generated when earth first formed as well as from the radioactive decay of materials it's stored in rocks and fluids like water and magma down inside earth and it accounted for 22 percent of the renewable energy consumed in the u.s last year how about that but the issue with geothermal energy is that it's all underground, so we need to drill down sometimes miles into the ground to get to the underground reservoirs, and that can be expensive. Get that dough! But we do have some other easy ways to get geothermal energy, too. Ever heard of hot springs, geysers, volcanoes? Those all release geothermal energy from deep in the earth. In fact, the largest geothermal development in the world is the geysers, which is north of San Francisco. Iceland has nearly 25 active volcanoes and 600 hot springs, so almost 25% of Iceland's energy comes from only 5 geothermal power plants in the country. How about that? Plus, the geothermal energy that's stored under the United States would be able to produce 10 times as much electricity as coal can right now. So how about that? So while there are easy ways to be able to find geothermal energy, It is largely location-dependent, with production usually limited to areas that are near tectonic plate boundaries, which then there's a fear that they could increase the occurrence of earthquakes, which hasn't exactly been proved, but we don't know, so that's a whole thing we'd have to sort out. Plus, even though geothermal power plants are much less expensive to maintain than current fossil fuel power plants, along with being much more environmentally friendly, Drilling and finding the energy underground is very expensive. And while there's an abundance of geothermal energy that doesn't harm the environment, actually getting to it may be a drawback that instead promotes other types of renewable energy. And one of those other types of energy is bioenergy. Bioenergy is a renewable energy that is derived from biomass. And biomass is a renewable organic material that comes from plants and animals. Did you know that up until the mid 1800s, biomass was the largest source of total US energy consumption annually? If you say so. Biomass accounted for 39% of the renewable energy that was consumed in the US in the year 2020. So, how about that? Biomass includes chemical energy that is stored from the sun, and then plants are then able to produce biomass through photosynthesis, which we all learned about in elementary school, hopefully. Biomasses then can either be burned to generate heat immediately, or they can be converted into renewable liquids and gaseous fuels. The most common example of biomass would be using wood in a fireplace, which a lot of people do. However, there are many ways to generate energy from biomass. In addition to firewood, wood pellets, wood chips, lumber, and sawdust and waste from furniture mills are sources of biomass generating from wood. But biomass can also come from agricultural crops and waste materials like corn, soybeans, and algae. It can also come from biogenic materials and municipal solid waste like paper, cotton, and wool products along with food, yard, and wood waste. And it also comes from animal manure and human sewage, just to let you know. Spitting in the truth. So we can burn biomass in order to create heat immediately, which is what we do to create a fire in the fireplace, or we can convert biomass into fuel, and this creates biofuels such as ethanol, biodiesel, and the aforementioned renewable natural gas. Right now, the biggest limitation to using biomass, though, is the lack of technology that we need to use it widespread. And in, in addition, using biomass to create energy creates carbon dioxide. However, since plant regeneration consumes the same amount of carbon dioxide, it creates a balance. Atmosphere, which is a good thing. And nevertheless, biomass is a clean and intuitive way to create energy that is probably going to be more and more important going forward. So keep that in mind biomass. So we've got two main energy sources down. The next one is water, because water can also be used as a clean energy source. Most commonly known as hydropower or hydroelectric, this energy is created just by using. Water. Sure about that. And a common way of producing hydroelectric power is by using a dam, DAM. Water flows through turbines in a dam to produce electricity. That's how dams work. And these can be huge dams like the Hoover Dam or small projects like an underwater turbine or lower dams that are used on small rivers and streams. And smaller water bodies usually use run of river hydropower, which just uses a channel to funnel water to create. Electricity. So, using water to create electricity was actually one of the first ways that electricity was generated in the United States, and hydropower was actually the largest annual source of total U.S. renewable electricity generation. In 2020, hydroelectric energy accounted for 22% of the renewable energy consumed in the U.S. So, really, anywhere where water's flowing, hydroelectric energy can be produced. And this also doesn't use up that water. So the water keeps flowing even after it's produced the energy that we need. So that's why, as long as there's water on Earth, we're gonna be able to produce energy from it. And hydropower has been common for a while, but we can also generate energy from water in the ocean. Really? And this can be done by generating energy from ocean waves or from warm water surface temperatures. Wave energy is actually very predictable, so we usually know how much energy is going to be produced. So this type of energy can be useful for areas along the coast, along oceans, so that travel costs don't have to be crazy high. So we've been using water to create energy for a long time, and it's going to be important to do so in the future as well, because we've got these big dams, and now we can produce energy from the ocean. I mean, how about that? But now let's get into our final two sources of green energy, which are probably going to be the most popular in the near future. You've probably heard of wind energy. We've been using wind energy with windmills for a long time, and no, they do not cause cancer. Nice try, buddy. But windmills have transitioned into wind turbines now, which are used to capture wind and turn it into energy. So when wind hits the wind turbines... The blades of the turbine turn around a rotor, which then spins a generator and creates electricity. And the wind turbines you're probably used to are those giant sticks with blades on them pointing in one direction. And usually these are grouped together in wind farms, so you can get all that wind, create some electricity. But these are the horizontal axis turbines. That's what they're called. But there are also vertical axis turbines, which are omnidirectional which means it doesn't matter which way the wind is blowing. They're going to capture that energy regardless. Plus, I think they look cooler if you ever looked them up. Debatable. So when placed on land, wind turbines or wind farms are usually placed in areas that get lots of wind so they can produce more energy. But wind turbines can also be placed on water, known as offshore wind turbines. These turbines can be placed on the ocean in order to capture strong ocean winds. And these can be huge, too. Like some of these... Are taller than the statue of liberty and in 2020 wind energy accounted for 26 percent of the renewable energy consumed in the u.s which was second behind biomass <laughs> however since most wind turbines are built in rural areas with lots of land and lots of wind that means that the energy generated from them needs to be transported long ways sometimes that can cost money plus Large wind turbines create noise, which can be annoying living near big wind farms, which means, yeah, you don't want to live near them, so you're going to have to transport that energy. But, wind turbines don't produce any carbon dioxide, they don't pollute the environment, they are 100% clean. And now here's something you might not have known. You can set up a wind turbine at your own home, if you wanted to. Wind turbines that you set up at your home are much smaller than those at wind farms, and they generate much less noise. Now, of course, you'll probably need to live in an area that has wind, but you probably do have wind. But usually windier areas are known for having houses and businesses, like individual houses and businesses that have their own little wind turbines. Now, of course, wind doesn't occur all the time. So when wind is not happening, energy that was generated previously can be stored and used Later. And since every location, house, and demand for electricity is different, the type or size or location of your wind turbine, it's going to depend for your location. So, if that interests you, if you think that'd be cool, do your research because that actually does sound cool for some people. Like, you probably need a bunch of land too for that to happen. So, it's not for everybody. Did you know that? But basically, as long as there's wind in the air, we're going to be able to generate energy from it with no harm to the environment increasing our use of wind energy is going to be important in the future as we try to replace fossil fuels along with all of these. That's wind energy. But finally, let's talk about the green energy source that will matter most to you. Sanders Fex. Solar energy. What are you talking about? The most talked about green energy source has to be solar energy, even though It only accounted for 11% of the renewable energy that was consumed in the U.S. last year. But solar energy is captured using solar panels with PV cells that capture sunlight and turn it into energy. Just like wind, solar panels don't produce any carbon dioxide and they don't pollute the environment. And as long as the sun continues to shine, we can capture energy using solar panels. So unless the sun burns out or explodes or whatever, we can keep using Solar panels. Now, of course, we have large solar panels that can be placed on roofs or any flat surface like a field. And then, just like wind farms, we have solar farms, which have a lot of solar panels placed side by side where we can capture a ton of energy in sunny places, usually get that energy transported to other areas. However, solar panels can also be really small as well. Like you may have a solar watch, or there may be a little solar panel on your calculator, or I have a solar phone charger. Like, solar panels can be really small, and there are a ton of small electronic devices that are powered only on solar, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, okay. And an advantage that solar has over wind is that it's not as location-dependent. Like, you probably need to be in a windy area, not blocked by anything for a wind turbine. But that doesn't mean that we can place solar panels wherever we want, but... While you can't place solar panels anywhere, any place that regularly gets sunlight during the day is probably a good bet to be a place where solar panels could work, and I think there's a lot more places that regularly get sunlight than get regularly heavy sustained winds. And additionally, the amount of sunlight on the Earth's surface gets is not a constant. So it does depend on location, but it also depends on Time of day, what season of the year it is, and what the weather conditions are, because you're not going to have sunlight coming down on your solar panel 24/7. So, a solution to that, because a lot of people are going to say, "Well, solar, but the sun's not shining for half the day. What if it rains? So, what am I going to do?" Well, here's what you do: you get a large battery that can store energy generated by the solar panel, so it can be used when it's not sunny that when it's sunny, that solar panel is generating energy, but maybe you're not using a ton of energy. Well, then the unused energy gets stored so that when it's not sunny, you can use the energy that is not stored. How about that? That could be useful if you're putting solar panels on your homes. And while there are big solar farms that can capture sunlight and turn it into energy, and we can hook those up to the grid, you can also put solar panels on the roof of your house. And it's usually a lot more feasible to place solar panels on your house instead of putting a wind turbine in your yard. So this is what many are considering the future for a lot of homes. But right now, the upfront cost is probably going to be a drawback for many because a lot of solar panel systems can cost between fifteen dollars and $25,000. Like It's pretty expensive. But however, if you're looking towards the future and you can afford it, Let me just tell you, it's worth it. Well... Plus, there's also a couple of tax credits and rebates that you might want to look into as well, which can lower that cost. And solar panels will most likely save you a bunch in the long run. Like, 20-year savings range anywhere from $10,000 to almost $45,000. So, over 20 years, a solar energy system is probably going to pay for itself. And this is because... When you install solar panels, you won't be paying for any energy that you use that comes from the solar panels. Like, if you keep your house hooked up to the grid, you'd be able to use the solar panel energy, and the electric company is still going to give you a bill, but it might be $0 because you haven't used any of their energy. But then if you run out of solar energy, or if you don't have a battery or anything to store the energy in when it's nighttime, then you can use the energy from the electric company, from the grid. So that's nice. But you also have the option of disconnecting your home from the grid. Too many facts. So in that case, you'd only be relying on your solar panels to provide you home energy. But that can be a plus during an outage, like a power outage or a storm, since you won't be affected since you literally have your own grid. You've got the solar panels. You've got the battery. You don't need to hook up to any other grid. That's your power supply. So everybody else is struggling out there. We don't have any power. You've got power. There you go. But you'll probably need a decent-sized storage unit or a battery so you can go long periods without sunlight, but still have power. So that that's actually an added cost onto that fifteen and twenty-five thousand. But again, tax credits, rebates. All that stuff, look into it if that sounds cool, because that sounds pretty cool to me. The truth lies here. Having my own little grid and not emitting, because when you're using power from the electric company and the electric grid, yeah, there's probably some solar and wind and geothermal in there, but there's also a lot of coal, a lot of oil, a lot of fossil fuels, which are not good, which are emitting, so... If you want to be self-sufficient, if you don't want to emit, that'd be a pretty good option, if you can afford it, because the upfront costs are low. But actually, in the last 10 years, solar panel system prices have dropped by about 70%. That's cool. So prices are dropping because demand is increasing, more people want to put solar panels on their homes, and it's becoming more affordable. The technology is becoming better. So that, as we go through time over the next few years, that's going to be more and more of an option. So solar power can be pretty awesome if you can afford it. It can literally replace the power company at your home. Plus, it's all clean, so you won't be polluting the environment. I mean, solar energy, how about that? So those are the five main green energy sources. So we've got those down. But there's also some other ways of helping keep the planet green. So like regular things in your home. Weatherizing your home. Heating and air conditioning, did you know this, account for almost half of home energy use. Seriously? By sealing drafts and insulating windows and openings in your home, you can make your home more energy efficient. So you won't be using as much energy. How about that? When you're shopping for appliances, shop for energy efficient Appliances, refrigerators, washing machines, you know the deal, that have an Energy Star label, those are the most efficient, and those will save you on energy costs and usage. How about that? Reducing wastewater, because it takes a lot of energy to pump, heat, and treat water, so using less of it, along with using water-efficient fixtures, helps, because it was estimated that only one in a hundred homes in the U.S. has water-efficient fixtures terrible so if we increased the use of those we could help save more water which would then be good because we need water and we're not using as much energy and did you know that 40 percent of food in the u.s winds up in the garbage no yes so maybe don't waste your food Other ways, using public transportation, using LED light bulbs. I mean, these are just some of the ways that you can lead a more energy-efficient life. And you're only one person, and it takes a village. I know all that. But if we get a ton of people doing all these things, then differences are going to be made. But there is also another energy-efficient resource that might be useful it's one that is gaining momentum around the u.s around the world here it comes electric vehicles oh yes because over the years you've probably been seeing more and more electric vehicles out on the road and that's a good thing like a few years ago if you saw a tesla on the road you were like oh my gosh that's a tesla now they're everywhere and there's other electric cars too electric vehicles are automobiles that run not on gas but on batteries that are powered by electricity. So no more gasoline. And electric vehicles are becoming incredibly popular and a great way to live a more energy efficient life because using gasoline pollutes the air. But if you go electric, that stops that pollution every time you drive. There you go. Good to know. However, there are some drawbacks right now. Oh, Xander, why would I ever get an electric vehicle? Electric vehicles are typically more expensive than their gasoline counterparts. However, prices are continuing to drop as demand is increasing for electric vehicles. A lot more people want them than a few years ago. Pretty soon, costs compared to gasoline-powered cars is probably not going to be that big of a drawback. Plus, right now there is a federal income tax credit of up to $7,500 for buying an electric Vehicle, and there are states around the country that are implementing their own tax credits and rebates for buying an electric vehicle. So the sticker price is not the price you're going to be paying. Yum. And the Build Back Better bill, that second bill that we've talked about that's in Congress right now, we've talked about that a ton on this podcast, that just passed the House the other week and now, of course, needs to pass the Senate. But that would expand that tax credit up to $12,500. How about that? But another complaint from those hesitant to switch from gas to electric is range. And right now, the median per charge range of electric vehicles is 154 miles. Sander, that's horrible! But considering that the average American drives 29.2 miles per day, I'd say that's more than enough. And plus, if you do drive long distances a lot, There are electric vehicles that are getting 300, over 400 miles per a single charge now. The brand new ones that are coming out. So another thing about EVs is that the cost to charge them is a lot less than it is to fill up a regular car with gas. For one, you can actually charge your electric vehicle at home. Whoa! I know. How about that? All you have to do is install a charger, like inside of your garage, if you park in the garage or outside on the side of your home if you park outside. Of course, that can cost upwards of $1,000, so that's another expense there. But Consumer Reports actually found that the typical electric vehicle owner who does most of their fueling at home can expect to save an average of $800 to $1,000 a year on fueling their vehicle. Like... Holy cow. This is a fact. And Consumer Reports also found that maintenance and repair costs are significantly lower for electric vehicles. The average dollar savings over the vehicle's lifetime is about $4,600. So again... There you go. And there's also a growing number of electric vehicle charging stations across the United States, and that number is going to continue to increase because the infrastructure bill, which has been passed and is now, I guess, the infrastructure law, that increased funds for charging stations for electric vehicles. So now there's even more places where you can charge your electric vehicle. And yes, it does take longer to charge an electric vehicle than it does To fill up a car with gas. But as technology continues to improve, battery technology, charging technology, that's going to improve. And the time it takes to charge an EV is going to continue to decrease because some of the new EVs can even charge at a public charging station in 15 minutes and they're good to go. And that's heavily increased over the years. So technology's getting better, prices are going down. Electric vehicles are starting to make some more sense. However, another question Are we done yet? Will our electric grid be able to keep up with the increasing demand in energy from electric vehicles? Well, if we continue to increase the number of wind farms, solar panels, and other renewable energy sources and add them to the grid, then yeah, it probably will be able to keep up. Plus, you can always install solar panels on your own home. Get off the grid, and then you have solar panels charging your electric vehicle at home. So, I mean, there you go. Like, while you're sleeping, your vehicle can charge. So, you can get home from a long day of driving all over town and all over the place, and your battery's almost dead, but plug it in, go to sleep, wake up, and it's fully charged. Guaranteed! You won't have to stop at any gas station or charging station, you know, because you'll be filled up. Ready to go. So there you go. Electric vehicles, they're making more sense than ever. And plus, they're much more energy efficient than gasoline powered vehicles. So we need a lot more of those on the road. And a bunch of companies, I mentioned Tesla, but there's other companies, some of them you've heard of, some of them you might not have heard of. There's companies like Rivian and Lucid, which are new EV companies, which are only making electric vehicles. But there's companies like Ford and GM right here in the US making electric vehicles, and Volkswagen and Mercedes and BMW, and all these companies are making electric vehicles. So you're gonna have more options, and plus the costs are gonna keep going down. It doesn't take as much money to charge electric vehicles, it costs less to maintain them. So, I mean, they're better in the long run, and hopefully. More and more people are going to get on the electric vehicle bandwagon because that's a good thing. So, now let's review everything I just talked about because the current way life functions in the United States and around the world is not sustainable. As we've learned from the UN report back in August, the COP26 summit was all about this. If we keep using fossil fuels and non renewable resources to power everything we want and need, there are going to be some serious consequences for all of us. The earth is going to rapidly warm, which is going to cause a lot of bad things to happen in the environment. Plus, we're going to run out of fossil fuels eventually. So we could just keep powering with fossil fuels, but we're going to run out of them eventually. And if we're not prepared when we do to switch over to clean and renewable energy, then that's going to have a detrimental cost. So switching over to green renewable energy sources is the main thing that we as a society have to do in order to fight the effects of climate change. And while the larger effort is going to take, you know, actual governments, China, the US, Russia, India, these huge governments to actually implement policies that disincentivize fossil fuels, we regular human beings can also take steps to help protect our Planet. So there you go. That's my spiel for this week. It's a green Thanksgiving, green energy. Finally, we were able to talk about this in my podcast because there's a lot of things. Like, hopefully, you learned something because there's a lot of things about green energy that I didn't know coming in and doing this research. So, hopefully, you learned a lot about green energy because it's kind of the future. We've kind of got to get on the green energy bandwagon. Like, come on, people, let's go. Green Thanksgiving! There you go. Green Energy, Xander's Facts. But before we go... Bye-bye. Before we end episode 42 of the Xander's Facts podcast this week, we've got some football to talk about. Because football picks return to the podcast this week. We've been posting them on our social medias for the last few weeks. But this week, we are back on the podcast. We're only doing a couple games because Thanksgiving is Thursday. In fact, you might be listening to this podcast after Thanksgiving, in which, sorry, but you should have listened when it came out Wednesday, November 24th. Awful. But Thanksgiving is this Thursday, and there's three big football games happening on Thursday, not counting college, in the NFL. So let's talk about those three games, and remember, check out my weekly football picks for college football and the pros, the NFL, on Xander's Facts social media channels, those picks are released every Thursday morning throughout the season. So for this weekend, it's the final weekend in college football for the regular season. We'll have those picks out Thursday morning. We'll have the Thanksgiving picks out, plus the Sunday games and the Monday night game on Sanders Facts, on social media, on Thursday morning. But for the NFL, on Thursday, this week, we've got three games to talk about. Thanksgiving. Football. And last week, if you didn't know, I went eleven and four on my picks, which is pretty good. That's 73%. And actually, just gotta brag, because in college last week, I only got one game wrong. Are you sure? Just to let you know, I don't know why you're not listening to me, but Xander's facts, you'd make some money. So let's talk about Thanksgiving football because we got three games lined up for this Thursday. The first one is at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. It's the Chicago Bears taking on the Detroit Lions. Good grief, this should be a horrible game. You might just want to skip it. Unless you want to see the Lions win their first game of the season. They will. Xander is picking the Lions to win their first game of the season. They're 0-9-1. They tied a game to the Steelers, but they're going to beat the Bears this week at home. Dang! Then... CBS 4:30 Eastern. The Raiders had to Dallas to take on the Cowboys, and the Cowboys faltered against the Chiefs last week. But the Raiders, their coach was a bad boy. Their star wide receiver was a really bad boy. Like the Raiders, they're five and five because they were doing good at the beginning of the season, but they've kind of dropped off. I think the Cowboys will win at home on Thanksgiving, and then finally 20 Eastern on NBC. It's the Bills taking on the Saints in New Orleans. Big game alert! And did you know that there are four teams who have never lost on Thanksgiving? They are the Ravens, Panthers, Texans, and Saints. The Saints are 4-0 on Thanksgiving all time. However, they will not be undefeated on Thanksgiving after Thursday night because they will lose to the Bills. The Bills will beat the Saints in new orleans on thanksgiving night so those are the three football games that are going on on thanksgiving this year and xander just told you who's gonna win so there you go and remember other football picks are on xander's social media channels twitter facebook instagram xander's facts beginning thursday morning for college and for the NFL, but there you go. That's football, and that's all I've got for the podcast this week. Xander's facts. I thought it was a pretty good podcast this week. We learned a lot about green energy. I mean, I didn't even know what biomass was until I looked it up. Dad, Xander's spreading lies. So there you go. Biomass, geothermal, wind, water, and solar. Xander's facts. Plus, I told y'all to put solar panels on your house. Out. Oh, well, you don't have to do that, but. If you got the money, think about it. Also, buy an electric vehicle or just take the bus. Just don't pull out. That's what I got for this week on Xander's Facts. But next week is episode 43. And as I mentioned, college football's regular season ends this weekend. So next week is conference championship week. So college football is coming back to the podcast this week. We're going to talk about the conference championship matchups. And Xander is going to give you his picks for those games. That is next week on episode 43, but this has been episode 42 of the podcast, and hopefully you all liked it, and if you did, remember to click that follow button on this podcast, download this episode, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and then, while you're looking at football picks, go on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z, go like, subscribe, heart, all that stuff, I don't even care, and then, remember, most importantly, tell all your friends about the podcast. Xander's Facts Podcast, when you pick all three Thanksgiving games correctly and your family's like, how'd you do that? I mean, you gotta say, Xander told me. Xander's Facts Podcast, and everybody's gonna be listening and they're gonna say, oh my gosh, Xander's a genius. I, I know. How about that? <laughs> there you go. I don't think so. That's a wrap on episode 42 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see y'all with episode 43 next week. your lack of fate disturbing.